Comms Day Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. This week, we'll hear from Superloop CEO Paul Tyler and Unity CEO Mick Simmons. But first up, our lead interview with Rosemary Sinclair. She's the CEO of Alda, the Australian Internet Domain Allocation Administrator, literally the land titles office of the virtual world. They announced this week that they'll be releasing a new direct.au domain, basically allows you to drop the .com in your URL. I caught up with Rosemary to find out all about this and everything else that's happening at Alda. Yes, yeah. The, the, the .au direct addition to um, the whole .au domain is really about giving people more choice. We've got a number of existing spaces, .com.au, .edu.au, and those are subject to verification of Australian presence, and that remains, but also eligibility around having a business registered or having a charity registered or <clears throat> being part of the education system formally. Um, that's not suitable really for the kind of economy that we're building now where there's so much innovation and people are relying on websites and email for communications in all sorts of ways, including little community organisations. Uh, so we really needed to create a space for those people so that they could be part of .au, but in a way that was suitable to the kind of innovation and the things that they want to do. That's what it's all about. And, and when will the process kick off for registrations in some way into the future, isn't it? Yes, 24th of March 2022 is the commencement date. And then there's a six-month period, uh, if you like, for people to think about whether they do want to get a .au direct if they already have a domain name uh, or not, uh, and for registrars and so on to get their processes sorted out. So we've got that six-month window uh, to allow an orderly transition, if you like, uh, into the .au direct namespace. Okay, and what are the advantages of having a .au domain generally versus a, a standard .com or .net domain? Uh, .au domain is seen globally as a very trusted domain. And as we've seen consumers uh, jump online for um, online commerce and health services and education services and uh, community connection, uh, to be able to do that in a domain that is trusted encourages confidence and activity levels. Um, so we see .au in international statistics as a verified, very safe domain. And it's because of the rules that we put in place and the attention that we give to cybersecurity type matters. Okay. Now, just to move on, you've, you've had quite a bit to say about cybersecurity lately, mm -hmm. what role does Alda play in that ecosystem and what specifically um, are the messages that you're trying to get across? Well, if you think about Alda as um, the service that delivers anything that ends in a .au, so websites or emails, and if you just think about the last 18 months, the way people have been using websites and emails uh, to get themselves through the pandemic that alone really is such a practical indicator of how critical this little piece of infrastructure is. 
That's one point. Second point is we do our work in a very particular way in internet governance. And so we're not regulated under legislation. Uh, there's a mention in legislation of what might happen uh, should we fail to do our job properly. Um, but we're authorised, if you like, under terms of endorsement. And those terms of endorsement tell us to run the .au domain securely, reliably, um, and very, very carefully in all sorts of other ways. So when there's a discussion about security, we're in there from our own perspective. Third thing is um, it's, a, it's a global network. As, as you and your readers will well know, the internet is designed as a global network for redundancy and speed and the like. Um, so having local conversations in any country really about the internet uh, doesn't really make sense. So one of the things we've been pointing out uh, is that uh, the bit that we are working in is part of a global system. And it's really important. In fact, Australia last year recommitted to the global nature of the internet, open, free and secure through the international cyber and critical technology strategy. Uh, so we've been you know, very careful about that. And then there are other matters that um, have been of joint concern. So the proposed legislation has significant powers in it. And we're saying if there are significant powers, then there needs to be transparent processes and scrutiny, oversight of the exercise of those powers. Um, we've also been uh, just reminding everybody that um, because we are not regulated under legislation, the way we actually uh, go about our work with our global partners is through contracts. So we've got a process of actually updating and reflecting security standards in those contracts, which we actually have done very recently. We're moving everybody to the ISO 27001 standard uh, through our contract mechanism. And then lastly, um, there are many other things, but lastly for this podcast, you'll be pleased to know, um, we're saying to government that there's an incredibly powerful network of people who work together already and really, really effectively. And that network includes important government agencies such as the Australian Signals Directorate and the Australian Cyber Security Centre. Um, so there's not a real need uh, in most cases to uh, adopt a coercive approach. You know, the co collaboration and cooperation is there. Um, if if organisations, for whatever reason, uh, decide to wheel out the lawyers rather than the cybersecurity experts, then I get it. There's a problem, and that has to be addressed. Um, but again, that that should be addressed in a proportionate way with proper processes. And this is all really, really important to us because if we get to a point in Australia that is uh, about national approaches and coercive approaches, then the reflection of that into the global internet is not going to wind up in a good place. So those are a range of the issues that we're particularly worried about. 
And it's those issues that um, led us to say, we need to have separate conversations in this rules design process um, because there are matters around us that are different from the big telecommunications sector. Okay. Now, finally, it's it's about 10 years almost to the week uh, yeah. since the Australian Telecommunications Users Group wound up. And, of course, you, you uh, were the head of that for many years. And you, mm. You've gone off and done some interesting things in energy and so on in the interim. Mm. But it's, it was just interesting to hear you talk about cybersecurity then because a lot of your historical telecommunications knowledge is obviously brought to bear in your yeah. views. And I, I, I was interested to hear how all that telecoms experience um, is being deployed in service of outer now. What we're seeing is the emergence of the digital economy that so many of us were preparing for for so many years. In all those discussions about mobile services and broadband services and the like, what we were doing was laying down, if you like, the pathways to enable a digital economy. The role that Outer plays, if you like, um, is to put the um, uh, numbers on the houses and open the door to houses of information and connection. Um, so I, I see a direct link between that work uh, that I enjoyed so much in the telco sector and this role at Outer. And we've seen this in the actual numbers, uh, the number of um, uh, names created uh, in the last 18 months has uh, grown enormously. And we've now got 3.3 million domain names under management in .au. Uh, we have 3 billion uh, transactions, inquiries every day for information uh, or to connect through email. It's a really busy space. But one of the really interesting things about the space is that uh, in all of those numbers, we are seeing a pattern of existing businesses and small businesses finally taking that step online. Businesses that have been around for 10 years finally getting a domain name because of the innovation that that made possible uh, with their customers and their supply chains and so on. So that to me is um, the digital economy uh, really happening now. Once you get those sorts of businesses en masse digital, then cybersecurity becomes a really important topic of conversation. And so the efforts that we make through our contracts with our registrars to lift everybody to international standards are because we see that as absolutely essential to an effective digital economy where everybody can be really confident. And beyond what we're seeing now, of course, there's just tremendous opportunity for innovation. Uh, we've seen through the pandemic, so many people start up little businesses um, and do um, really innovative things in their communities to communicate with each other. Uh, we're really keen to support that, but in a secure way. Um, and the issue of cybersecurity is just one of a number of discussions that we have to have to actually modernise the whole economy to get the full benefit of a digital economy. Beyond what we see now, of course, because, say, of my work in the um, education sector and the energy sector, I just see enormous potential um, for, the, um, for innovation through digitalisation in those sectors. So all those solar panels that Aussies have put on their rooftops 
the only way we're really going to be able to manage them effectively to create value for the individuals and the whole system uh, is through the application of internet and related communications technologies. But it's got to be done securely. Superloop reported its financial year results this week, showed some promising signs of a turnaround. And as it was only to June 30, it didn't even include the acquisition of Exitel, which doubles its size. Underlying earnings grew 108%. Underlying revenue was up 14%. Fibre connectivity revenue up 22%. We caught up with CEO Paul Tyler to hear all about it. Yeah, we're pretty encouraged by the results, to be honest, mate. I think um, it's uh, been a, a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty, I use the word transformative. I, I hate the, the adjectives I've used, but it really has been a transformative year for the company. We're in a very different place now with the outlook for FY22 than, than we were in uh, a year ago. So, uh, yeah, no, we're, it's, it's good. I want to I go through some different aspects of the results, and, and one which jumped out at me was a 62% increase in your um, retail broadband subscriptions, which is an incredible growth rate compared to the industry, which I think was more about 8 or 9% in terms of MBN. Um, off a low base, though, Graham. Off, off a low base, but it's still, it's better than going in the opposite direction, isn't it? Um, so what, what, what do you attribute to that growth? What did you do to, to get there? But we have a great product. It's a it's a great product. It's a, a really good brand. Um, you know, I think we operate in a, an interesting part of the market, which is uh, you know a high performing product. We're very focused on the high speed uh, plans, as you know, and we got a disproportionately high uh, uh, exposure to the high speed plans. So really good product and at a, at a pretty decent price. So I think the, the channels we're we're um, we're servicing there are uh, effective or using are, are effective, but also the experience is really simple. So in you know in, in a competitive world where people have to ring call centres and, and muck around with all sorts of configuration dramas, you know ours is a completely digital experience. It's completely automated. It's it's you know, it's a five minute process from start to finish, and people like that. So moving on, you also had some really strong growth in both your fiber service and fiber connectivity areas. So in fiber service, up 22%. But what, what um, jumped out at me was you've got some big names there in the customer base. Like I noticed Equinix was listed in the slides um, and Cogent and so on. So it, it seems like you get, you're getting a really good roster of wholesale customers in that segment. Yeah, so we've got a, you know, we've got some pretty, um, again, we've got a great product. So, you know, between our own fibre, our participation in Indigo, obviously we're a, we're a consortium partner in Indigo, and then the international fibre assets we have. We've got a, a really good underlying product. Uh, we service it well through automation, through our uh, the Super Connect uh, offering. Um, but also we've got a pretty good uh, team now. You know, we've invested heavily in getting the, the right team in place and they've got good relationships. A lot of industry veterans, uh, you know, in fact, uh, I'm not sure if you read the the last latest, last one to join was Nick Pachos. You you know Nick, I guess. So Nick's just come along to to run our product team now. So we're we're really getting a good bench now. Yeah. Okay. And likewise, in in fiber connectivity, um, you announced today that both Telair and BureauServe have come on as customers. That they're, they're big wins. And again, you you seem to be doing quite well with all the the indies. You know, the independent. Um, companies that aren't allied with the big four? 
yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to be selling uh, um, <laughs> wholesale aggregation services to Telstra. Yeah. But, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm more talking about there are obviously some downstream operators who are loyal to, the, to those big four. Yeah. But you're, you're, yeah. p- you're picking up a lot of what I would loosely term the new guard. You know, a lot of these emerging yeah. companies that are moving into N- NBN resale. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But I think that some of the industry economics are coming home to roost on, on uh, players as well, where um, you know, they're, you know, they're not able to make money fundamentally. And so we'll, I think there'll, there'll be more of a shake-up there. Loyalty doesn't necessarily buy profitability, right? So yeah. um, you know, we'll see how that unfolds. We're an infrastructure-based telco, so uh, you know, we are able to uh, make good profitable business out of, out of this stuff, and we are providing a, 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 a competitive proposition to those kind of uh, players that, that you know, ultimately need to make money themselves. Uh, but it's not just a price game. There's also absolutely the, the level board that we've got on the network, the quality of the network, the investment we've made in point resilience and all those sort of things lead it to, uh, to be a pretty compelling proposition. So it's, 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 it, we're competing and, and we're, you know, the, the, the proof is in the, in the pudding, it's, yeah, it's, it's landing. Okay, a lot, a lot of those volumes that you're getting at the, at the high speed end of the NBN market have been driven by their, their rebates and their promotions and, and they're, they're slowly but surely being withdrawn and returning to higher price levels. Is that a concern for you in terms of keeping the momentum going? Well, we're, uh, you know, those rebates are available to everybody um, and we're winning against other players who have the same access to those rebates. So we think we have a, uh, I'm just saying again, we have a really competitive proposition um, and uh, and it's, it's not just price, it's also the customer experience that uh, leads people to select us. So even if the rebates go away, we still believe we'll be able to compete effectively uh, against the competition because we all have the same buy price from NBN, as, as you know. Uh, now, um, obviously, you've got the acquisition of Exitel is being uh, you know, kind of manifested in an actual integration right now. And I'm guessing that the biggest aspect of that is moving all those Exitel customers onto the Superloop backbone. How is that going? We had the first Exitel services live on the Superloop network four days after completion. Obviously, there was a lot of preparation that went into that. They were test services, but we've uh, already started the bulk migrations. Uh, the first of the bulk migrations happened last week, so it's going really quickly. Uh, again, I'd speak to that level of embedded automation that we have, that we're able to lift and shift that that traffic from the, the legacy provider of services to Exitel onto our own network. We've committed to $5 million of synergies by the end of the first year in terms of run rate synergies. We'll, we'll, uh, you know, we're running ahead of plan on that, so we're you know, very happy with that we'll deliver those synergies in full. Bottom line, it's going very well. Yeah. In in your um, results presentation before, you mentioned uh, about the need for leadership renewal, and I, I was wondering if if that meant you were going to take some of the Exitel executives and give them maybe a, a, a whole of Superloop scope or function, or what, what exactly did you mean by that? Uh, and more that we've done a lot of leadership renewal over the last year. Uh, if you look at the, the executive bench that we've now built, we have some real industry veterans uh, on that bench. You know, uh, you know Dean Tognella, uh, as I said, people like Nick, Nick Pachos, as an example. Um, you know, we have we have added a lot to the, the bench of, of you know, Mayhill Dave uh, running our consumer business. Uh, I think we're in a vastly uh, different place now than, than we were uh, previously. And uh, the, so the leadership renewal is more, that's what we've done as opposed to that's what we need to do. 
Okay, and for, for to all intents and purposes, are you going to leave Exitel as a sort of separate organization in terms of marketing function and service function, or will the two be properly integrated? No, they'll be fully integrated. So, uh, you know, what we present to the market in terms of two brands, that that uh, that, that will you know, have a multi-brand strategy going forward, but the underlying workflow and operations will be fully integrated. Okay, and just for the purposes of understanding what those brands mean, what what, what do you see as the, the differentiating brand values between Superloop and Exitel? So, uh, Superloop is a, uh, you know, it's a, a challenger brand, uh, you know, it's about high speeds, it's about value. Uh, Exitel is a more complete brand, it's uh, it's about, you know, multiple products, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, got voice and security and, and lots of other things like it. So, it's more of a holistic uh, offering and the Superloop is more of a, you know, a, an upstart uh, fighter proposition. Okay. Now, you also, in, in your results presentation, the slides um, had a bullet point talking about M&A, <laughs> future M&A opportunities. So what do you see out there that might be attractive for Superloop? Um, well, we're, we've got a pretty disciplined approach to M&A. If we find something that is meeting our criteria, uh, we'll buy it. But Because uh, we have actually now a really robust balance sheet. But uh, the criteria is pretty tough, right? We've got to find things that are... Um, on strategy, so utilising our network, they have to be a clean acquisition where there's not a lot of legacy run out businesses that are that are headwind. They've got to um, be materially accredited across all of our financial metrics, and they have to be appropriately priced. And we've had a bunch of ideas, and we kicked a few tyres, but right now we have we're not working on anything that meets those four acquisition criteria. So we're growing really quickly in our three customer segments organically and we'll continue to do that if we can accelerate that through m a we will but uh we won't buy anything just for the sake of uh, top line growth we, we've got to see it as being you know highly accredited to the business and right now we're not working on anything that meets that criteria okay how important are the hong kong and singapore fiber networks um in terms of your proposition now is it something that the customers are saying yeah we like the fact that you're there that's important or, or was that still a work in progress it's more of a working process. It's still part of the portfolio, and, and both countries are growing. Uh, uh, they're not growing at the certainly uh, Hong Kong's not growing at the pace we'd like, and we've got some ideas around how we uh, might uh, utilise that excess capacity in Hong Kong. We're working on that at the moment, but that's more of a working progress. I think that we would There's been a lot of uh, press coverage around uh, your chairman's proposed national fibre backbone, Hyper One. How does that fit in with Superloop? It's a question I get asked all the time as a journalist. Yeah, how, how does how do all these things fit in with each other? Superloop doesn't operate big intercap networks. I mean, Hyper One is a massive uh, transnational um, uh, fibre backbone. Right? That's not Superloop doesn't do that. We operate more of the metro networks, and we will will buy capacity off uh, Hyper One quite quite happily. But we don't compete. Yeah, got it. Okay. Well, look. Thank you so much once again. Take care. Bye. Now, Unity also reported this week. Now, of course, Unity is basically the biggest fibre competitor to NBN in the greenfield market. This is as a result of its acquisition and aggregation of firms such as Opticom and the legacy Telstra Velocity Network. Its earnings, underlying EBITDA, up 254%, revenue up 175%, free cash flow up 68%. We caught up with CEO Mick Simmons to hear all about it. We are in 
very favourable market conditions. And that is partly because of the platform we've built and the, and the markets we operate in and the fact that our, our commodity is now an essential commodity and it's delivered on the only network that can keep pace with demands for speed. We are in buoyant property markets. We have the ability to expand in, into, into the adjacent property asset classes. And we are a market leader in Broadacre. We have a business structure suited to the emerging markets of build-to-rent, land-lease and independent living. Our ability to white-label is significant in participating in those market segments. Our technology infra-expansion into adjacent markets, including integrated communications networks, also provides favourable conditions for us to continue to grow the business. And developers are continuing to build integrated communities. Property owners, property developers today, are now converging various asset classes into one integrated community where there is residential, office, re retail and industrial properties within the one precinct. And we are ideally positioned to deploy the infra and to deliver both as a wholesaler and a retailer across those across those communities. And our product is essential. I only need to say COVID, and we all understand how important broadband has become um, to, our, to our communities. The digital economy expansion places CPAS in an enviable position to, to continue to expand that, that infrastructure platform. And our ability to retail and, and wholesale means we can play in all markets. We are, we are in a very good position. And I would like to reinforce, it's a simple business with a simple strategy with the right platform playing in the right markets. The, the biggest headwinds are our inability to control construction. That we so we are dependent on, on property developers completing construction. Um, and so that is a delay in the earnings growth. Um, where it's contracted, it will still be delivered, but it's a delay. But at this point in time, we haven't seen we haven't seen an impact from from that from that at the moment. Uh, the other obvious place to go is regulatory. Um, at the moment, it's a reasonably stable regulatory environment. Most of the mooted regulatory changes have, have have occurred, and there's nothing significant on the horizon. Um, uh, if anything, it's probably more favourable and unfavourable because we'd like we'd like to see serious consideration on the removal of the RBS level. Um, and that's uh, you know, that, 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 I'm not saying that will occur, but uh, if anything, that, that could be favourable to our business if there was a, a reconsideration of the RBS levy. Um, so, from a regulatory landscape, we don't see any any major headwinds uh, at all. Uh, the, the, the activity that occupies our mind most, what we spend most time on and work hardest at now is customer acquisition. Um, and, um, and, we, and the evidence of our, of our building contracted book in this last half is evidence I think that we're doing okay. Um, but I believe that we can do better. I believe
believe we can win better in market. Uh, that's our biggest challenge. I wouldn't call it a headwind. Um, it's a great opportunity, um, but it's it's something that we are focused um, heavily on. Um, as I've said in our single business, single strategy, win, build, fill. We've got to win. We've got to win in market. Uh, and that's, that's the biggest focus for our business. And if we win it, the rest flows, flows nicely. And, and with the great metrics we have in our business, it tips out in the great returns for shareholders. That's it for Comms Day Live this week. See you next time.